Hello and welcome to the OT Schoolhouse podcast, your source for school-based occupational therapy tips, interviews, and professional development. Now, to get the conversation started, here is your host, Jason Davies. Class is officially in session. Welcome to the OT Schoolhouse podcast. Today is a very special day for the OT Schoolhouse podcast. A big day, a huge day, and one that is cause for a big celebration. But first, you might be thinking, wait a second, I am not Jason. Where is our beloved OT Schoolhouse podcast host? So, Because this day is such a big milestone, Jason actually asked me to come on and host this episode since we're bringing on a very special guest in order to celebrate. My name is Sarah Putt. I am the host of the OT for Life podcast, as well as co-host of two other OT podcasts, The Real OTs of Early Intervention and The OT Roundtable. I've known Jason now for a few years, and we've connected because of our shared love of occupational therapy and, of course, podcasting. Back in the beginning of both of our shows, he came on mine, I've been on his, and we've even done a shared episode together where we talked about OT associations. Needless to say, we always have so much fun together when we record. So when he asked me to be a part of today's episode, I could not say no. I mean, It's not every day that a podcast reaches its 100th episode. Yep, you heard that right. This is the 100th episode of the OT Schoolhouse podcast. A major congrats to Jason for all of his hard work in getting to this point. I know, as a podcast host, it is not easy to put together a show. And quite frankly, it's a lot of work. So getting to this milestone is absolutely huge. And I could not be more proud of Jason and everything that he's accomplished. Now, I know I mentioned that there's a special guest coming on the show this episode, and I'll bring him on in just a second. And honestly, I think it's a guest that you're really going to like. I mean, who am I kidding? I already know it's somebody that you like. In this episode, we're going to peel back the curtains on his OT journey and dive into his story, some of which you may or may not have heard about before. So without further ado, let's celebrate this 100th episode, this huge milestone episode, and welcome our very own Jason Davies to the OT Schoolhouse podcast. Hey, Jason, welcome to the OT Schoolhouse podcast. How are you today? Wow, that sounds so weird. Um, I am doing fantastic. Thank you for welcoming me to the OT School Podcast. Wow, first time for everything. <laughs> I know, I had to like refrain from saying the OT for Life Podcast because <laughs> it's not my show today. But I am so excited, so excited. Today is a big day. Today is a huge day for you. 100 episodes of the OT Schoolhouse podcast. And as a podcaster myself, I know just how big of a milestone this is. I know how much work (laughs) every episode, everything that you have to do for a podcast. Like, I I get it. I, I know exactly what it takes to get to this point. And I wanna know, how does it feel to be celebrating 100 episodes today? You know, it, it feels fantastic. And I think I mentioned it on a few episodes ago, you know, I always dreamed of this day coming a little bit sooner, 
but I'm so glad that it is right here, right now. I mean, so many things have happened in life with OT Schoolhouse and just in my personal life to get to this point. I mean, you might hear a baby crying in the background for the first time in the 100th episode. And it's just amazing. You know, the OT Schoolhouse has been going on for about four, almost five years now. And I, w- I wouldn't change a thing. I love everywhere that it has taken me, everywhere that it's going. And yeah, just excited that we made it to 100. And that means that there has been 99, now 100 fantastic episodes to help people. And yeah, just super excited about that. It's amazing. Yeah. And we're we're going to dive into a lot of kind of how you started and, and where you've been and where you are now and, and really a lot about kind of your journey as, and also the OT Schoolhouse podcast journey and just OT Schoolhouse in general, because I know it's not just a podcast. There's a lot of other resources and just really great information that you offer. But I also, I just have to ask, because I'm guessing this is the first time that you've been a guest on your own show. <laughs> what does that feel <laughs> yes. like? Yes, 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 it is. <laughs> and, uh, you know, before I answer that, Sarah, first of all, I want to say thank you so much for agreeing to do this. I mean, when I first had this kind of idea a little bit, and, and actually you were kind of the one that threw it out there a little bit about having someone interview me on my own show, I just could not appreciate a, you for being here to do this for me, but also appreciate you as a podcaster colleague. And we've been doing this for so long together. And it's just been so much fun bouncing ideas off of each other and uh, growing together as a podcasting community. It's just been amazing. So thank you for being here. I really appreciate that. And as for being interviewed on the show, you know, never thought this would happen. You know, if you would have asked me day one, four years ago, hey, someone's going to interview you on your show. I'd be like, why? What's the point of that? But, you know, I see it. And I think it's going to be a fun episode. So I'm excited to dive into it a little bit more. I think a lot of times as a podcast host, we are so good about kind of showcasing the guests that we bring on or the topics that we're going to talk about. And quite often, at least I feel like for me, a lot of times I feel like I don't talk about my story as much. And that is, well, we're not talking about my story. We're going to talk about your story today. (laughs) But I think that sometimes it can be overlooked when you're the host because you just get so excited about, oh, this fantastic guest I'm going to bring on. We're going to talk about this topic. And you kind of are like, yeah, no one one wants to hear my story. Well, that's not true. We want to know the real story behind Jason Davies and what makes you tick why even OT Schoolhouse started, how you got to that point. And we are going to dive into all of that today. And I am so excited to hear (laughs) more. I know some of it, but I'm excited to hear more. And I'm sure there's little bits and pieces that I'm not even aware of yet. (laughs) Maybe we'll both learn something today. It'll be fun. (laughs) It's going to be a lot of fun. So, I mean, again, big congrats, 100 episodes. And yeah, let's dive in. And I want to start with this question. I feel like whenever I'm maybe like on Facebook or I'm out in the community or somebody asks me a question about school-based OT, you are the first person that pops into my mind. I'm like, hey, I've practiced in the schools before, but it's been probably more than eight years ago. It's been a long time. (laughs) And I'm like, Jason, he's, he's the expert. He knows everything. And I have to ask you, did you always know that you were going to end up in the schools? Because in my mind, I feel like, yeah, that's right where you were supposed to be. Yeah. Um, no, <laughs> I did not actually think I'd end up in the schools. I did want to work with kids. Like That was one of the things that I knew going into OT school. I wanted to work with this population. However, as most of us you know, go through school, we learn new things. And actually going through school 
through OT school in particular, I started to lean more toward acute rehab because I really enjoyed the quick pace of an acute rehab setting. I mean, you are on that floor on your feet for like eight hours straight, going from room to room to room, pulling a patient out. And it's just really quick paced. And I really did enjoy that. But ultimately, after graduating, um, gosh, almost 10 years ago now, it's crazy. Another big milestone. I mean, (laughs) come on. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But yeah, after graduating, you know, I actually kind of just fell into a school-based occupational therapy interview for a contracted position. And really, literally, I just like fell into it. Someone who I knew who graduated with me also was already working for a contract company. And so she set me up for a interview. I didn't know it at the time, but it was probably because she knew that she would get a referral fee if I signed up with the company. (laughs) That's just how they work, right? We all know that now once you've been in the field for 10 years, but you know, your first day out, you don't realize that people are actually getting paid because they bring you into the company that they already work for. Anyways, whole nother situation. But I fell into that interview, which to be honest, wasn't even really an interview. I talked to a person at that contracting company and they basically gave me the answers for what the district would ask me when I interviewed with them. So again, I I really fell into the school-based OT position. I knew I wanted to work with kids. I thought I was going to be more in an outpatient type of SI clinic. But you know what? I'm glad that I fell into schools. You know, sometimes I feel like as a school-based OT, we have to know a little bit of everything. We can't pick and choose who our clientele is. You know, one day we're assessing a student who may have sensory difficulties. The next day we are assessing someone who might have more behavioral difficulties and we're trying to support them in the classroom. And then another day it's a kid who just has handwriting difficulties, Down syndrome, you know, all the different varieties. We see the entire spectrum of kids. Some have a diagnosis, some don't. And I just love that about school-based OT, that we get to see the whole gamut. And then we also not only get to support the students, but also the teachers involved. And so I really appreciate that I found it. And I'm so happy that uh, that I'm here, that I'm a school-based occupational therapist. So I think this is a really good point to kind of highlight here, because I think a lot of times, and, and honestly, it's so funny, because if you would have asked me when I was a student, even like pre-OT student and then OT student, and probably even new grad, like where I was going to be in, oh gosh, now I'm going on. 13 years? Ooh, I probably would have said that I was going to be in the schools. So it's so funny that like, here you are like, nah, I'm probably not going to be in the schools. I'll probably end up in a clinic or something. And I'm like, I'm going to be schools. And I'm like, totally not there anymore. You know, real quick, I remember like, I think at one point during OT school, they had us do like a five-year, 10-year plan. And I think my five-year plan was to get SIP certified, which I did actually do that um, within the five years because I got very lucky and had a district help me pay to go through that program. But I think my 10-year program was to start, have my own SI clinic. And so I don't have my own SI clinic, but we have the OT schoolhouse. And so um, exactly where we should be. (laughs) Oh, completely. I I 100% agree with that. (laughs) And I think it's just interesting to just point out that like, you don't really need to know when you're a student or even a new grad or even a couple years into practice. Like Mm -hmm. you might not be exactly where you are until you're meant to be there. And I think a lot of times like students kind of get like stuck in this, like, oh, I really need to like, where, what, what am I going to do when I graduate? What am I going to start at? And it's like, sometimes it just falls into your lap and here you are. I mean, you love it. You've been doing it your entire career and you're not going anywhere. <laughs> nope. nope, not at all. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I know you were kind of talking a little bit about the schools and and why you like them, but really like what is it about being an occupational therapy practitioner in schools that is so special to you? You know, ever since day one, I just felt that we had an enormous ability to be in the student's natural context. And not every occupational therapist gets that ability. You know, I really see it as a vital part of occupational therapy in general, of practice, you know, helping a student or helping a client in their natural setting. And when you think about an OT working in a hospital, they don't get that. You think about an OT working in an SI clinic, they don't even get that. These kids are coming specifically to that place, the SI clinic, or people are going to a hospital to get the care. Versus for us, we are going to the student's natural context. And yeah, sometimes we do pull a student out and we do see them in the quote unquote OT room, which sometimes is a hallway, sometimes it's a playground, um, sometimes it's wherever it's, you can get right, it, <laughs> the lunch room, right? It's it's wherever we can get it. But there is such a push now to have those services happen in the natural environment. And um, you know, as a school based OT, new nine years ago, whatever it was, I didn't understand that. I, I knew the idea of it, but I did a lot of pullout services. But over time, I saw the value of actually getting into the classroom. And that is what I appreciate most about school-based OT, is that we have the opportunity that not everyone else has to see the student in their natural context. And yeah, I just really appreciate that, being able to help the student and the teachers where they are, not where we want to pull them out to. So yeah, that's what, I think that's the thing I enjoy most about school-based OT. As an OT in early intervention, I get it. I get yep. it. I mean, that is one of the unique and super special parts of that practice setting as well. I mean, mm -hmm. you really are servicing the kids where they are. You're working with a variety of staff. And yeah, it's there really is something truly special about meeting people, meeting kids, meeting the teachers, whoever it is that you're kind of collaborating with, meeting them where they're at and not just like, oh, come to me. It's like, no, 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 I'm coming into your house and I'm going to support you the best way that I possibly can. Yeah. And, you know, we're seeing such a big push for that now. Research is coming out every year saying more about contextual. And now we're seeing people like uh, Laura Park Figueroa, you know, doing more of the natural setting, natural based OT out in the wild. And it's all about play. And how cool is that? You know, that we, I mean, as a profession, we understand the importance of seeing a student or a client, whatever it might be in the natural setting. So I just love it. So I have to ask, we're going to get real here for a second. And I know we talked about this, gosh, when you were on my show and that was Ooh, that was probably like three years ago. So I'm curious if your answers have changed or perspective has shifted a little bit, but I want to get into the kind of the nitty gritty about what it's like to be a school-based occupational therapy practitioner. What are some of the biggest challenges that either you have faced or you've heard other people face or you're hearing people are facing mm -hmm. right now? And then also what are some of the most rewarding parts? Yeah. So, you know, that's part of what I really love about the OT Schoolhouse is that I have met people from all over the world that I would never have had the opportunity to meet if I were practicing. You know, I, I meet people practicing in the schools and I meet teachers, I meet adaptive physical education teachers who become my best friends. But through the OT Schoolhouse, I get to talk to people, specifically OT practitioners from around the world. And for me, some of my biggest challenges that I really had to overcome were 
realizing how to work with some of the older clients, the high school students. And we have this conundrum in school-based OT. It's like, as kids get older, we should move them to consult. But also at the same time, as kids get older, they need more support. And so how do we combine those? Where do we provide that support for our older students who maybe they have more ability level, but they also have more responsibilities and a lot more to do within high school? And so that was tricky for me. And I hear that echoed throughout basically everyone who has worked in a high school as an occupational therapist. That is one of the most common questions I get is, what do I do with the older students? So I think that is an area that as a profession, we still have a lot more to do. I think that as transition plans get more solidified, OTs are becoming part of that transition team. We have so much to offer for students who are about to turn 18 and either they're graduating from high school or they're getting a certificate of completion and they're moving into the real world, whether it be trying to get a driver's license or trying to get that first job. I think OTs have a huge a huge potential for supporting that particular clientele. So that was something that was always a struggle for me. And I still do not claim to be a specialist in high school. In fact, that is one of the areas where I always try to bring people in who are doing more. And luckily, people are doing more in the high school. So I'm excited to bring on more podcast guests and, and speakers at the conference that we're hosting later in August about high school. So that's... um yeah, that's always a struggle. The other part was like, I think you kind of asked, you know, the flip side of that. What has something that's come kind of naturally? I, I, it's kind of how I'll take the question. A lot of people hate meetings. <laughs> I actually enjoy the IEPs. I don't know about you. Do you enjoy like I meetings? I loved them. I, I thrived <laughs> going out to IEP. Most of them, I should say most. Some of the like six hour ones, I was like, yeah, I could, I could Too leave much. those. But yeah, yeah. I loved going to the IEP meetings. Yeah. And I'm the same way. I love it because I feel like that is where we get to advocate for the kid. We get to advocate for ourselves. We get to advocate for special education in general and why it shouldn't be something to look down on and why it's, you know, some people, I'm not going to point at anyone because it comes from anywhere. Some people don't understand the role of special education, that it is to support the students. And they see it as a bad thing. They see it as my kid's in special education or that kid's in special education, and there's something wrong. But that's totally not the case, you know? So yeah, I, I enjoy IEPs. I think that it's a great way to share the knowledge that we have and to uh, advocate for our profession for the students that we serve. And I don't know about you, but I feel like a lot of times, at least in the IEP meetings that I've been a part of, a lot of times, and we're with lots of other practitioners, therapists, other staff, teachers, you know, you name it, right? I've, I've been in IEP meetings with probably 17 people, and I have encountered it time and time again where there's maybe arguing or just some like discontent between the different professionals. And then OT steps in and we kind of like explain everything. And all of a sudden people are like, oh, <laughs> I get it. And yeah. like the whole tone of the meeting changes. And I'm like, yeah, that's OT, right? That is why we're here. That is why we have a presence in the schools because people need us to kind of connect those dots and really make it as supportive and empowering that we can for the kids and for our the families and the caregivers. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, as an occupational therapist, as an occupational therapy practitioner, I think that we do actually strive in realizing that we don't know everything. 
And knowing that the speech therapist has value, the teacher has value, the parent has value, every single person on that team has value. And despite what you want to think about them, even BCBAs, they bring value. And we can either A, we can ignore them and go down our own road, or B, we can listen to them and we can all work together. I think it's amazing when I understand other professionals' goals. Because then when I'm working with a student, I'm naturally embedding their goals into my sessions. And likewise, they're doing the same thing with me. Maybe the speech therapist incorporates some fine motor stuff because they know what my goal is. And I think that's amazing. And that can only happen when the IEP team is really on the same page. You got to be the glue. (laughs) I heard that somewhere like years ago. And I'm like, yeah, OT is the glue. We bring everybody together and yeah, yeah, go OT. Okay. (laughs) So... I know what we talked about how you got into the schools, but we are going to back up a little bit here. And this is before OT. How did you find out about occupational therapy? How did you know that it was the profession for you? Like, let's let's back up to little Jason. I'm not sure how little you were when you found <laughs> it, but let's go back a little bit. Yeah, so I'm very fortunate in the sense that I learned about OT because my sister's actually an occupational therapist. And so that's how I learned about it. I think she actually learned about it at a Girl Scout retreat. So that's how she found out about it. I didn't even realize what she was doing throughout college. So I had no idea why she was at school, really. But once she graduated, she actually got a job in Southern California in Pasadena at Center for Developing Kids. Uh, Shout out to CDK. And so... At that point, when she's working at CDK, I think I'm basically graduating from high school, going into junior college. At that time, I was very insecure. I was so insecure that I didn't even apply to a university, even though I had like a 3.9 GPA. Like I was afraid of getting let down and not getting into a school. And so instead of going to apply for a four-year university, I started at a JC. No problem there. But I didn't know what I wanted to do. Two things that were on the table, I knew what OT was. So I decided, okay, that's part of what maybe I could do. And then I also was thinking film. Um, I had gone through animation all four years in high school, and I really wanted to work for Pixar at the time. Uh, That was like my dream was to be an animator for Pixar. So I went to junior college, started taking some psych courses, you know, prereqs for OT. And I also took some film courses. And just over time, I started to sway more toward the OT side. Um, I was doing volunteer hours at CDK. I probably racked up like, I don't know, maybe 300 hours, like not even realizing it. And then even when I was in OT school, I continued to go over there to support them. Even though I wasn't doing a field work, I was still volunteering and shadowing and doing stuff there. So yeah, I I kind of followed my sister down that road a little bit into OT and and found a very secure place, a very welcoming place, a place where I felt like I belonged. You know, it allowed me to work with kids, which was kind of something I always wanted to do. And so um, it allowed me to get into that realm. And yeah, that's how I found OT. That's how I got into it. And yeah, we already talked about what happened after that. So (laughs) yeah. So I kind of want to talk about the interim piece because you said that OT Schoolhouse is roughly four to five years old and you've been practicing nine to 10. So you started, you found OT, you were volunteering and working with kids, and then you graduate, you get this job in Mm school-based. What happens in those kind of the next like four to five-ish years that led you to starting OT Schoolhouse? 
Yeah, absolutely. So we talked about, you know, that first job that I got, it was a contract job. And so I did work, again, pretty local, about 20 minutes or so from from where I lived at the time. And that was my first toe dip into school-based OT. I was a contracted therapist. However, I worked in a district where all the OTs were contracted by like the same company, basically. So we really felt like we were really part of the district. However, what we didn't get was some of the support from the district. We didn't have a lot of RTI going on. We weren't really, we were a part of the district, but away from the district. You know, we met as a team, but we were kind of in the middle between the contract company and between the school district. Very grateful for the people that mentored me there a little bit. We got some mentorship, not a ton, because you just didn't have the time. But again, that's where I learned what an IEP was. I really tried to learn not only from the occupational therapist there, but also the school psychologist, from the teachers, from the speech therapist, learning so much about IEPs and special education. But after a year, I decided, you know what? I want to be in a district position. I don't want to be a contracted therapist. And I want to be in a place where I can start to to get benefits. And I want to be in a place where I can start to have a pension slash retirement. And, you know, I was getting a little bit older. I, I understood the value of health insurance and all that good stuff. And so I did take a, a district position out in the high desert, which you're familiar with Southern California is like half, not halfway, but it's on the way to Vegas. And so I was working out there, driving an hour to work every day. And I was the only occupational therapist. I had one occupational therapy assistant that I also worked with. And she was a little bit more familiar with the district. She had contracted for the district. But yeah, it was just her and I. And they had always used contract therapist. And now they're hiring us in-house. And so we got to develop the program there. We got to shape what their occupational therapy program looked like. And at the time, there were two things that I was really keying in on. Sensory. That was the district that sent me to go get SIP certified, which was very nice of them. But the more I learned about sensory and school-based OT, the more I also leaned more toward RTI and getting into the classrooms and that natural context setting that we talked about earlier. And so I actually strayed a little bit away from the sensory side because I didn't want to be pulling the kids out. However, I did use that sensory component to help train the teachers in understanding. And for some of our classrooms, they did have access to a sensory room, per se, very toned down, you know, definitely wasn't an SI clinic by any means, but developing kind of little sensory plans that the teachers could carry out a little bit. Definitely not sensory integration, because sensory integration, as you know, is a very strict, it's a protocol, and you have to follow those protocols to be providing SI. But I was able to help train the teachers in sensory strategies and uh, help them implement that. So that was at that district. I was there for five years. And it was a place for Jason to grow up. <laughs> it really was. It was a place for Jason to spread his wings, I guess you could say. And I was the OT practitioner. And I had to explain to my boss what OT was. I had to explain to everyone there what occupational therapy was, what it could do, and how we could benefit from OT, all the students, how they could benefit. And I got to try new things. That was one of the cool things of the small district. So I was given the leeway to try a little bit. And so I really um, opened the door to RTI for that district. I want to point this out because this is one of my favorite things of being a podcast host is that you start to hear things that might have happened in their past journey and then other things pop up and they all kind of start to tie together. And what you said just now is like, 
you kind of growing up, growing into yourself, growing into this OT practitioner, it made me reflect on what you were saying when you were scared to even apply to college. You were scared because you were going to get rejected or you were scared to put yourself out there. And you went to school, you went to OT school, you started this position where you were the only occupational therapist. And I think you said there was a coda there. And here you are like, I have to represent myself. I have to represent my kids. I have to represent the certified occupational therapy assistant. I have to represent the profession. Mm-hmm. I have to represent everything here. And it's yeah. like, it really is like you kind of went from this scared student to kind of finding your wings and, and finding your voice and really finding your niche within school-based occupational therapy. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's funny because as you're saying that, like I'm saying things out loud right now that I don't think I've ever said. And it's crazy, you know, we really do grow, but it's not until you actually say it out loud that you start to realize I knew what I did, but now that I'm saying it out loud, wow, <laughs> what what was I doing and how did I do that? So yeah, that's crazy. You're right. Yeah. It's just kind of like making these connections and drawing these parallels of our journeys of like, oh, maybe I haven't thought about that before. I didn't, I, I think we just kind of forget where we were because mm-hmm. we are so comfortable where we are now. And I'm really curious to kind of hear about originally, what was your idea for OT Schoolhouse and and what did you think it was going to be when you were first starting out? Yeah, you know, that's crazy. So I was at that job that I was talking about where I was the only OT with a CODA. And actually, during my time there, our caseload was growing and we showed to our administrator that we could not do it on our own. And so we did a workload study, a time study, and we like laid out, I, I created like a three-page document that showed why we needed another occupational therapist. And so when I did that, we hired another OT, Abby, Abby Piranha. And it was actually Abby. Shout out to Abby. Abby. <laughs> Hi, Abby. <laughs> Shout out to Abby. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's right. Sarah, you know Abby. Uh, she was on the podcast too when we recorded with you. Yeah. So Abby Piranha was an occupational therapist that we had hired. And her and I, we worked together at that school district for two and a half years, maybe. And closer to the time where we eventually left the district, both of us were in a place where, you know, we were the only two OTs in a district. We had an OTA and we're in an area where there's not a lot of occupational therapists. And so, you know, we would have a quote unquote team meeting, but it would just be us three. <laughs> it's like we, we had a team meeting almost every day, but then once a month we had an official team meeting. <laughs> um, so we're like, how come we're not meeting with other people, other occupational therapists? And so we decided how can we make this happen? And that was kind of the birth of OT Schoolhouse. We wanted to connect with other OTs and we didn't see that out there. Both of us loved podcasts. We loved listening to podcasts from everything from like murder mystery podcasts to finance podcasts to how to start a podcast podcast. <laughs> and <Love> so, <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we had this idea and it actually started off as a blog first. And then we quickly turned it into a podcast because we just saw that podcasts were growing. And personally, me, I'm not a typer. I can talk all day long, but I hate typing. And so blogging for me was like, tedious, but jumping on a microphone was easy. 
And so we started the podcast. And unfortunately, Abby, she ended up moving across the country and decided that it was no longer part of her world at that point to be part of the OT Schoolhouse podcast. She now has a family and, and lives back east, and she's doing wonderful. We are on fantastic terms. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, we just knew that it was at that point best to split ways. So now the OT Schoolhouse is just myself. But she was absolutely a big part in starting it. And like I said, we just wanted to build a community where OTs that particularly worked in school-based practice could come together, learn together, teach each other, and just have a community because everything was going virtual and we saw a place. You know, there wasn't a podcast about school-based OT. There wasn't an online community for school-based OTs at that time. And so we wanted to build that. And that still holds true today. I still want to build a community out, a community for school-based occupational therapy providers. And that's exactly what what we're doing now. That's exactly what we're going to be doing in the future. So I'm excited for it. Yeah, that connection piece and the community piece, it I get it. Like that's why I started a podcast too, because I think it's very easy to kind of get stuck in our own little OT worlds, especially if you're very isolated and maybe you're the only practitioner, one Mm -hmm. of a handful. And there's so much amazing work that's being done out there. And if you just stay in your own little world, you're never going to kind of find out about that. And I want to just say you have built a community. So I know your goal is to build (laughs) one. You're going to continue to build because you've already built this amazing school-based OT community. And it's amazing to, because I I listened to you from the probably the very, very beginning when you first started your podcast. And it's so amazing to just see how much you've changed, how much you've grown, the topics that you've covered. And I also want to say like the, almost like the in-depth of the topics that you've covered. I feel like in the beginning, it was very, you know, just kind of those, those big topics that come up in school. And now you're coming up with different topics that I'm like, wow, like, how did you even come up with like that? That's so, that's so niche and, and so needed that we need, that needs to be kind of talked about in the school-based world. And so it's been really cool to watch this progression and how OT Schoolhouse has grown, how the podcast has grown and everything that you've really kind of built around OT Schoolhouse. Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, it, it's been a journey, and you know, right along with you too. I mean, it's been crazy watching you grow. I mean, starting off with your own podcast, your own OT for life, and everyone, you know, very niche, but at the same time, very large for all occupational therapists that that might want to watch occupational therapy practitioners listen to, and then watching you kind of niche it down a little bit. Even you know, you've done the OT roundtable, which is still very broad, but then you also have your EI podcast which now that you're doing with Danielle and Amira and can't not mention Amira. I hope everything is going well with Amira. Um, But yeah, just seeing everything that you're doing with the EI field and just your journey in podcasting. It's been amazing to, to grow with you within the podcasting community. Yeah, it truly is kind of, I mean, occupational therapy is a small world to begin with and then enter OT podcasters. And it's like, (laughs) we're, we're even (laughs) smaller and connecting with you a couple of years back at the occupational therapy association conference in California. And yeah, just being a part of your journey and now being here today, I'm like, this is an honor for me first, (laughs) but what do you think kind of reflecting back on, I mean, this entire journey from 
starting OT to starting in the schools to starting OT schoolhouse, what do you think are some of like the biggest things that you've learned along the way? And this can be very specific to the podcast or this can be school-based OT. I'm, I'm going to leave it kind of broad for you to answer. I feel like I should kind of hit like one for each thing here. You know, for school-based occupational therapy, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is that we can't do this on our own. And sometimes as occupational therapists, as occupational therapy practitioners, we sometimes have this feeling where it's us against the world, where no one understands what we do. And we have to constantly share what we do. And and I'm not saying that is false. It is absolutely correct. We do have to share what we do. But we also need to, and I've learned, we can't do this alone. And we need help from the school psychs. We need help from our administrators. We need help from our teachers. And we need to push ourselves out there. We can't expect them to come to us. We need to show them what we can do, not just explain what we do. And the more that we push ourselves out there, the more that we show them exactly how OT can support that one student in their class or their entire class, the more that we do that, the more they're involved, the more they're going to ask us to come back and do more. And I think that is the one thing that I've learned the most in the schools is that if you share what you do in a way that they actually see what we do, if you do that with one teacher they will share it with another teacher. You won't have to share it with another teacher. That teacher will share with the, their colleagues what Jason did for them. And then that teacher is going to ask me to come into their classroom. And from there, it just continues to grow and grow and grow. And so the power of showing one teacher what you can do can just have tremendous benefits for the field of occupational therapy, not just for you, but for the entire field of occupational therapy. So I think that's kind of like the one big thing from school-based OT that I've learned outside, you know, with OT Schoolhouse as a business in general, I've learned that I can do hard things that I never know how to do. My goodness. And same with you, I'm sure, you know, it's, you don't learn how to develop a podcast in OT school. I mean, you don't learn how to develop a website. I sometimes get emails and I'm sure you get them too, where people like email you as though you are a team of people. And I'm like, it's just me here. Hi, it's Jason. <laughs> you know, it's we are learning how to do this and we're learning how to write, a, how to do a podcast, produce a podcast. We're learning how to create a website, how to make YouTube videos, how to make a course, how to make a conference for school-based occupational therapists, how to build a community. And I never thought that I would have ever done that in my life. And so um, I think that's the big thing that I've learned from the business side of things. So yeah, I think those are kind of two big takeaways that are very different, but equally important when it comes to the OT schoolhouse being what it is today. And I'd also include that they probably have intertwined a lot. And as you kind of grew as a business owner and as you grew using your voice on the podcast and, and really kind of finding your true passion and really like your true purpose of of what you want to be doing, that has then translated into the work that you do clinically and working with teachers and working with staff and, and working with clients. And I think it's just, it's so cool to kind of see, because I, I mean, I've gone through it myself too, how both of those skill sets, I guess you could say, even though they seem separate, can really just kind of come together and like, 
I mean, it just kind of opens up all these other opportunities and potentials. And really, you just kind of find yourself and, and find your footing and kind of move into that space that maybe you didn't know you were supposed to be. But once you're there, you're like, yeah, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. Right. And yeah, I have a folder in my email where like all the appreciation that I get, I just, if I get an appreciation email, I just drop it into that appreciation folder. Um, Sometimes I print out a few and I put them up on my wall. You know, it's just because growing up, we already talked a little bit about self-conscious issues back in the day. And one of those things was like my voice, like, you know, self-conscious about your voice, right? YouTubers are self-conscious about what they look like on YouTube. For a podcaster, naturally, like, I don't want to listen to my voice. Um, and I was always self-conscious about that. And growing up, people would always, like, ask me to repeat what I said because of my voice. And so that made me more self-conscious. And now I get emails saying, like, your voice is so calming and soothing and it's perfect on a podcast. And it's like, I, like, that just, it baffles me because that's never what I would have expected anyone to ever comment on about myself. And if I wouldn't have started the podcast, I would have never known that people actually appreciate hearing not only my content, but also the sound of my voice, which is nothing I can control. Well, to some extent, right? You can take lessons or not, but I haven't. <laughs> but, but to hear what, you know, people enjoy listening to you. And it's just something that you never expect to get, but it helps when you get it and always appreciative. I love the uh, appreciation folder and I feel like I need to like do that. I like say <laughs> I'm going to do it all the time and I just haven't done it, but maybe this is going to be from something that came from that, or maybe it's something else, but would you share like what has been either the most memorable or maybe a couple of memorable moments that you've had since starting the OT schoolhouse? Oh, you know, it always, I, I mean, it's crazy because it's not something that you wouldn't think would happen. But every time I hear from an occupational therapist, a provider that is not within the United States, like it just floors me. Like the first time I received a message from someone outside of the United States, I believe it was, um, I can see her name, but I can't think of it from, from Shanghai, China. I was like, why does someone in Shanghai even know I exist? And it was just amazing. So that always floors me. We have actually quite a bit of listeners, both in the UK and in Australia. And, you know, as a podcaster, we kind of see some numbers about where people are listening. And I'm just like, again, why, why do these people even know who I am? So that always floors me. But every time that someone tags me in an Instagram like story and just says, you know, thanks to the OT Schoolhouse for this gray space paper. Thank you to the OT Schoolhouse for sharing these handouts that people that they're using to spread the awareness of OT Schoolhouse. Those are really the moments that that I remember most. You know, it's just people are thanking me for something that I created for them. And it really touches the heart. You know, it's like you put these things out there not knowing if anyone will ever use them. And when they actually do use them, you're just like, thank you for using this. You know, and I give out so much for free and I, I do that because I want people to use stuff. I don't want you to have to recreate the wheel. And so, um, yeah, it, it's just amazing when people do that. It's always amazing when we have, you know, 300 people show up to a conference or 300 people show up to a live webinar and we just have community. Those types of things I can't ask for. I can't even fathom saying hey, you know, I have something really cool to share with you. I hope you'll show up. And then when 300 people show up, it just means so much that you're actually helping them. I like to tell people, I try to give away thousands of dollars worth of free information 
before I ask you to purchase one thing for the OT Schoolhouse, whether it be a conference or a course, I want to make sure that you're finding value through the podcast, through the website, through free webinars, because if we're not, then we're not doing our job or I'm not doing my job. So uh, yeah, those are some of the things that just really uh, make me in awe every time that that people say thank you, that people share what we have put out there. And uh, when people show up and just uh, be a part of the community. Is it so interesting to reflect back to when it was just you and the CODA in the district and that was it and there was nobody else around? And then when you moved to the next position and it was you and Abby and one other practitioner and those were your meetings, right? Like two to three people. And now all of a sudden you're talking potentially thousands of people that are listening to you, showing up to your events. Like that's got to be the best feeling in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And my wife sometimes jokes around how like I can't go to an OT event without people knowing who I am. And it, it's kind of true. And like, I don't let it go to my head, and, but it's just amazing to know that yes, OT practitioners around the world, like know who I am. And okay, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, there are very few males in the position of OT and being one of the few males that are prominent within the podcast space and whatnot. I, I do get recognized if I go to an AOTA event or OT Cal of California, OTAC event or something like that. And it's awesome. But that is just a byproduct of all that I have done, that I have put out there for everyone. And it's just a byproduct. Basically, it's a way of saying thank you. When they notice me out in the world, it's a way of them, anyone saying, you know, thank you for doing what you've done. And and I feel that, you know, I feel whenever someone comes up and says hello, sometimes a simple hello, you can feel is really more of a thank you so much for what you've done. And even if people don't say it, I feel it from every single person in the OT, OT Schoolhouse community and just the OT community in general. So I kind of have a two-parter question for you here. And being that, you know, you love being an OT in the schools and you have so much passion for really changing the face of what occupational therapy looks like in, in schools, in school districts. Here's the two-parter here. Where do you want to see OT in the schools be in the future? And then the second question is, where do you want to see OT Schoolhouse fit into that? Great question. I love it. And I know exactly what my answer is, at least for the first part. OT Schoolhouse. <laughs> Maybe not. Never evolving. <laughs> yeah, seriously. OT in school-based occupational therapy. I want OTs to be ever-present, more so than we are today. I want us to be helping more people through the power of collaboration. Now, sometimes when I say that, people think that I mean like we won't be having one-on-one -on -one sessions. And that's not the case. There will always be a case for one-to-one -one OT with an individual or even a small group with OT supporting a few students in maybe the OT room. But I want more teachers, more administrators to understand our value beyond that. I want us to be as well known as the nurse on campus or any teacher. I want us to be a part of that community, a true part of the school community, not just someone that walks into a room and people say you're going to the OT room and not know why someone's going to the OT room. Or, you know, you walk into a room to pick up a student 
and all the other students, they want to go with you because they know you're in the fun place, but they don't know what you do. <laughs> I, I really want us to be embedded into the classroom. Right now, most OTs are working through the IDEA law, right, which is all about special education. But I want us to move beyond that. And there is legislation for that. It's the ESSA, Every Student Succeeds Act of 2015. And it's got to be reauthorized soon. And what that pushes for OT and other service providers is to be more involved in general education curriculum. And that's really where I want to see OTs. I want to see OTs in every classroom, not just the special education classrooms. So yeah, that's my answer for that. For the OT schoolhouse. This is a tough one. You know, I, you know, I always say, you know, I need to have a five-year plan, but I never create a five-year plan. Um, <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> I'm like, oh, five years ago? Wait a second. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I definitely want to continue the OT Schoolhouse podcast. I want to bring on more guests. I want to provide that value for every school-based OT, whether they're in the city next door to me, the same city, or anywhere around the world. Um, alongside of that, though, I do want to, like you said, I have developed a community, but I wanted to develop that community even further. I want us to bring us together for more events where we are sharing specific knowledge to school-based OT. I love AOTA. I love OTAC. I love the World Federation of OT. I'm sad that I probably will not make it to Paris later this year. <laughs> that was, Me neither. <laughs> I was going to ask you. I wasn't sure if you'd make it there or not, but yeah, you've no. got a lot going on too. But <laughs> Sometimes those large events, they're encompassing of all of OTs, and school-based OT kind of gets lost in it. And so I want to continue to build a community specific to school-based occupational therapy practitioners that is 100% for the school-based OT. And that's where I'm at. That's what I want to continue to do. And whether that looks like more in-person events, so be it. If that continues to be all virtual, that's okay too. I just want to continue to have a place for school-based OTs to come and feel like they are talking with their own and learning also how to outreach beyond school-based OT. And as you know, I really share about, about advocacy. We've already talked a little bit today about sharing with teachers and administrators what your value is as a school-based OT practitioner. Yeah, I think it's really just kind of continuing to spread the knowledge, spread the research, spread the work, spread the word, you know, everything. Working in the schools is definitely a unique and niche practice area. And being able to be in that community and, and build that community and be a part of that community worldwide is huge. And learning about how people are doing it in, maybe it is the city next to you, mm -hmm. or maybe it is a completely different country and, and learning from each other. And just that kind of knowledge translation and that knowledge sharing is, again, it's one of the biggest parts for me being an occupational therapy practitioner, as well as being a podcaster and really just like sharing everything that we're learning and connecting with each other. And I love that that is your mission and continuing to be your mission with the OT Schoolhouse podcast. I want to go a little personal just for a okay. second because I know five-ish weeks ago, something big, and you talked about it right in the beginning <laughs> of the episode, something big changed in your life and you had your son, your firstborn. Yep. And being that I am now, I had a daughter last year, she just turned one year old. I know how much we are so passionate about the field of occupational therapy and the settings that we work in and how 
our personal lives are so intertwined with our professional lives. Yeah. And I am really curious to hear how has having your son, and I know it's only been a short few weeks, probably feels a little longer, a little sleep deprived here, but how has your son influenced your role as an occupational therapist? Funny you should ask, actually. Um, I was texting one of my former colleagues and a friend, Amanda. She was actually on an episode, gosh, a few years ago now. And she was asking me, she's like, hey, how's being a dad? Like, you know, it's, it's going well, you know, just learning every day how to take care of a baby. And she's like, oh, yeah, you only worked in the schools. You never did early intervention. You don't know what, <laughs> what it means to be a, uh, to work with young, you know, the babies. I was like, yeah, that's that's right on. I don't because I never worked in that EI. And so this is all new to me. I'm the first child of my parents to have a kid. My wife is the first child of her family to have a kid. And so we haven't been around a lot of newborns. And yeah, so we are learning everything by the moment. Um, It's been crazy. Lots of diaper changes, lots of trying to, you know, people tell you to get into a routine and then people tell you it's impossible to get into a routine with a newborn. So it's like, wait, what do you want me? (laughs) There's just so much information coming from everywhere. I have barely started to get back to like, responding to emails and getting into things. You know, I'm in a fortunate position, I I should say, and I am not actually working as a practitioner at this point. And so I don't have to rush back to a school-based job. I am now full-time with the OT schoolhouse. And, you know, it's scary, but at the same time, I know by being full-time at the OT schoolhouse, I can support more occupational therapy practitioners. And so I'm excited for that. I'm also excited because I do get to work from home now, and I get to be here for my child. His name's Kyler Kiyoshi Davies, and I get to be there for Kyler. And so I'm excited about that. But the one thing that I remember, and I don't even know who told me this, is that you know babies aren't necessarily as fragile as everyone thinks. So I am keeping that in my mind. <laughs> but at the same time, I know he's still a baby, and you know, of course, he relies on us for everything. So it is just a blessing to have him. I'm so excited to be in his life, and I'm so excited to have him in my life. And I look forward to all the precious moments with him. And you know, he's already. He's already aging out of the newborn clothing, which, you know, it's it's amazing. You know, they grow fast. So just trying to enjoy every moment. You know, it's been a journey. Your your experience from starting out in OT, starting out in the schools, starting OT schoolhouse, and now having a son and be, becoming a parent, like, it's all a journey. And it's... <laughs> I don't know it's, if you can hear him right now. He just started crying. No, no. <laughs> like on cue. Well, I'm, right. I'm watching my daughter throwing her toys over her crib right now. Just, <laughs> just for everyone, <laughs> just for everyone listening right now, we had to like time this around baby naps and walk time. So, um, yep, that's that's life for us now. Yeah, <laughs> life as OT parents and OT podcasters here. <laughs> True life, right behind the scenes, behind the yep. curtains here. But yeah, it's. I think having a kid, it, it's only going to add to who you are right now and everything that you do. And I think as your son gets older, you will start to realize how how you can better talk to parents or how you can change how you talk to parents, caregivers and IEPs, all that type of stuff. Because I know I learned a lot <laughs> and I was like, wow, I expected a lot from my clients, parents. And now I'm like... Okay. And it just, it's a continuous journey of just kind of learning across all boards here. (laughs) Is there like side note, is there 
anything else that you feel like you wanted to talk about? You've wanted me to ask like anything else we didn't touch on before we close up. <laughs> now, I hear no, I, now you can hear him. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I always tell people this is a dog friendly podcast, but now it's a kid friendly podcast too. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, I, I think we touched on everything, you know, I'm just excited that we have got to this point. You know, I, I never expected to, to be where I am today with the OT Schoolhouse podcast. And I couldn't have done it without all the support. I just remember like the first time a number popped up on our podcast, We're like someone listened to the podcast. And, you know, now it is being listened to by thousands of therapists, and I'm just so excited to be able to support those therapists um, in any way possible. It is just a huge blessing. And yeah, you know, that's really it. I'm just super appreciative for everyone out there that's listening and allowing me to be a part of their drive or their workout or whatever they're doing while they listen, right? It's just amazing that anyone would want to listen to a podcast about school-based occupational therapy. I just cannot say thank you enough to everyone that listens and to everyone that's a part of the OT Schoolhouse community. And yeah, that's, I think that's the big thing that I just want to, just want to share with everyone. I really appreciate you. I said it in the beginning and I'm going to say it again. Congratulations. 100 episodes. This is a like just an enormous milestone to hit as a podcaster. And I know the work isn't done. I know that there's so much more that you want to do and so many more brilliant ideas that you have yet to share with the OT and school-based community. And first off, I am so honored to have been a part of this and to be asked to interview you for this huge milestone. So thank you for that. And honestly, I cannot wait to see where Jason goes in the future, where the OT Schoolhouse community goes in the future, the podcast, like, yeah, it, there are, there are big things coming and I am, I'm so excited. So big congratulations. Thank you so much, Sarah. And thank you again so much for taking the time out of your day to come on and, and do this. I really appreciate it. As we've talked about, we didn't even talk about how we met. And and if you want to hear how we met, go listen to the OT for Life. Do you know what episode that was? It was way back in the beginning. Gosh, I know we talked about it. It's but, like 43 uh, <laughs> or something. We can we can link to it. <laughs> yeah. You'll hear about how we how we met each other at a OTAC, Occupational Therapy of California Association. Just we decided to have lunch one day. And uh, us and a few others. And it's crazy to see where we've gone from there. And so build your community out. And uh, yeah, Sarah, you know, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for taking the time to interview me. I know you've got a baby that's ready for your attention, <laughs> but I appreciate <laughs> you taking the time, right? Always. I, I appreciate you taking the time to be here. I couldn't think of a more perfect podcast occupational therapy provider to be here. Excited for that. I know I said it a bunch in the episode, but I'm saying it again. Congrats, Jason, for reaching 100 episodes of the OT Schoolhouse podcast. This is such a huge accomplishment, and I am so, 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 so proud of you. I honestly cannot thank you enough for allowing me the opportunity to come on and host this monumental episode with you. It is such an honor to be here on this special episode to celebrate such a big accomplishment. I had an absolute blast going behind the scenes of the OT Schoolhouse podcast, how it came to be, as well as learning more about you and how your journey led you to where you are now. If you're still listening to this, I know that you are Jason's people. So do me a favor, 
go wish him a big congrats. You can do that by sharing this episode on social media, telling a friend about it, or just send him a message to share your excitement and your congratulations. Hearing from you, I know will make his day. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And again, congrats, Jason, and the OT Schoolhouse community. Cheers to 100 episodes, and here's to 100 more. Thank you for listening to the OT Schoolhouse podcast. For more ways to help you and your students succeed right now, head on over to otschoolhouse.com. Until next time, class is dismissed.